As fewer Christians read the Bible daily, fewer understand what a marvelous revelation it is from God to man. It's so easy to forget, as we scurry around our day-to-day -day lives, what a profound gift Scripture is to us. Sixty-six books, weaving a tapestry of God's love for us. Words from heaven, sitting right in our hands. As a culture, we've walked away from these time-tested truths, rejected the wisdom found in its pages. Now more than ever before is the time that our world needs to understand what Scripture actually has to say. Join Dr. Yusuf, cultural anthropologist, pastor and author, for a timely discussion on the relevance of Holy Scripture. 66 books, 40 authors, over 1,500 years, and yet, Michael, it's one book. Yeah. And it tells the most amazing story ever, and that is God's love for us. So why are we not reading it anymore? Well, the problem is that is exactly what the devil doesn't want us to do because he knows there is power in the Word of God. And when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? He quoted the Scripture, the very Old Testament Scripture that some evangelical pastors are saying we need to get unhitched from and that we need to ditch and we need to move on and just focus on the resurrection. But the fallacy is Jesus did not appear in a vacuum. Every book of the Old Testament says he's coming, he's coming. From Genesis 3.15, when God said to Adam and Eve that Jesus will be born and he is going to be nipped at the heel by Satan, but he will destroy Satan. And all of that and goes on and on and on throughout the scripture, one theme. And yet the arrogance and the pride, uh, the human arrogance and pride has forbidden to stop people from reading it or seeing the relevance to them, not even in the church. You see, I am concerned about the church. That's the bride of Christ. And when people in the church, and I read these statistics, and if it's one or two, I may not take notice of, but just continuation, so many statistics. They said 10% of Christians, not the world out there, the Christian, 10% read it every day. 18% would read it twice a week. Now, that is so ludicrous. And I often said, that what the despots have failed to do, and particularly we know that in China, literally they used to burn the Bibles before the 80s, and churches, the underground churches, would have little pieces of the Bible to read in their cell groups. And yet what despots have failed to do, we have done. They failed to accomplish the destruction of the Word of God, but our neglect, we have done that. And therefore, I am absolutely on a mission it's been the mission of my life, but now it's really coming into concentration and culmination that if you claim to know Jesus and you do not read the Word of God, then you have a fake claim. There's something wrong with your faith. And so this is a challenge, and I'm saying it in the strongest term possible. Well, and it's a challenge that is thrilling once someone has done it. I am going to confess to you, I had not read the entirety of the Bible right. until I was in my mid-40s. Yes. And it was so life-changing for me. Yes. It is one story. Yes. It all points to Jesus. Yep. It all points to the kingdom of God. I mean, why would we not want to do this? What's holding us back yep. from this gift? And most people in the West, yep. Christians certainly, have five or six Bibles in their houses. I know. It. It's not for and lack of access. Yeah, different translations. Why are we ignoring it? Is it Satan? Is it we're... Why? Why are we ignoring I this gift? It's a combination. 
Satan hates it. He hates the Word of God. Particularly, he hates two books in the Bible. The first and the last. He hates Genesis and he hates Revelation. And that is why even people in pulpits, in some mainland churches and other churches, would say Genesis is a myth, Revelation is a mystery. That is a lie from the pit of Satan. And the reason Satan hates those two bookends, those two books of the Bible, is because, as already mentioned, in the book of Genesis, his condemnation is pronounced, and in the book of Revelation, it is executed. That his doom is seen to be done. It was announced, now it's accomplished. And so he hates those two books, and he hates everything in between, because you see the character of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God, and the love of God. I mean, people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is not the same God as the New Testament. Really? Have you read how many times God would plead with Israel, and he's patient with them, over 200, 300 years, and prophet after prophet after prophet, he sends, and he expressed his love for them. And he said, return, come back to me. Don't keep running after Baal and Ashtaroth and all these foreign gods. They're not the ones who are going to bless you. I'm the one who blessed you. And in the end, when they absolutely stubbornly refused, God sent him into exile. And they had to end up in Babylon. And you see, that's all part of God's plan. And you cannot take part of it. I mean, it's like a puzzle. You take part out. It's not going to make sense. And so it's a book. It's a whole book. It's a unit There is no book like it, whether a scientific book or literature, whatever it may be, because there is no book that is so united and and, and one unit like the Bible. And when we say it is living and active, that's why you read the Bible all the way through every year, don't you, in in its entirety. Is it different every time? It is, because the Holy Spirit who dwells in me can open my eyes. He also wrote the scripture. He's the author behind the authors. And he, there are many, many times I said, oh, I've been through these grounds for 30 times, 40 times. And for the first time I notice there are times, depending on the, my circumstances, where I am as I'm reading that passage for that day. or the, And the Holy Spirit will literally say, this is a word of encouragement to you. Even though it was written for a specific time. But this is an encouragement for you. This is a rebuke for you. This is a conviction for you. And the, all of that happens at the same time. Every morning when I get up and open that word and I allow it to seep into my soul, into my spirit. And so you can't say, well, I just read the Bible. It's all over. No, 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 no. <laughs> the Bible is inexhaustible. It's like uh, going to the ocean and you just keep going, gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And I must admit, sometimes I feel I'm like a child sitting there playing in the seashore, (laughs) having even got my feet wet. And I know that many others have felt the same way because that's the depth. That's when you take time under God and pray before you open the book. And then you start saying, Lord, open my eyes. Let me see these wonderful truths from your word. And God will. That's a prayer he will answer for sure. And if we love him yeah. and we want to follow him, sure. we first need to know who he is. Mm-hmm. And he completely reveals his character yeah. to us throughout. And I love that you said, yes, in the Old Testament, he yeah. is the same. But is it kind of become fashionable to characterize some of these as fairy tales or yesterday's yeah. stories? 
Well, this is an effort on the part of some pastors and theologians and megachurch pastors particularly who want to accommodate to the younger generation who have a problem with certain aspects of the Old Testament, like Jonah and the whale, or the flood, or whatever it is, they have a problem with it. So what do you do? You accommodate to them. Mm. You know, when I moved from Australia to the United States, in Australia, I knew cricket and I knew rugby, and then I had to go and watch something called baseball (laughs) and gridiron and American football. They never said, oh, because you're new here, we need to accommodate to you and change the rules so you understand them. (laughs) No, they never did this. I had to learn. And instead of us accommodating to the carnal and to the ungodly, we need to teach them. We need to instruct them lovingly as we can that you need to learn this. You need to understand this is the incredible love of God. And you cannot claim. I mean, imagine if I say, oh, I love my wife. I love my wife. been married 52 years, but I never spend any time with her. I never get to know her. I never got to understand her. I never. What kind of a love is that? And it's the same way. Well, people say, I love Jesus. Well, how do you love Jesus if you don't know what Jesus says about himself or who he is or what the Bible said about him before he even got here from heaven? So, you know, we live in this age of hypocrisy where people just operate on emotions and they don't want to take the time to comprehend the incredible love of God. And the problem is they will be blessed by it. They'll be blessed by it. I have never known anyone who had read the Bible in a year with me, and many of them have, who regretted it. In fact, they never stop. Once they start, they want to do it every year, every year, because of the joy that, and the power and the strength that comes from the Word of God Absolutely. for living. Absolutely. I don't know how people can live without that. I don't understand. Amen. And especially once you've read it. Yeah. It's not like, oh, that was great, you know, on to the next thing. You yeah. do want to start all over again. And yet, Back to what those who are doing to try and turn us away from the Bible, they'll take little bits and pieces. Well, Paul said this, or it says in the Old Testament that we cannot take this book out of context. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you take it out of context, who's sitting in power? I am. The person who claims the authority to interpret the Bible. If I take it out of context, well, this is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to learn. Not what allowing the Bible to speak for itself. Because when you allow the Word of God to speak for itself, it's going to have power not just to convict us and encourage us and make life not just bearable, but joyful. Even in the difficult times and the hard circumstances, when you read the Word of God, you're going to find that it's going to lift you up above the clouds of depression and discouragement that we all feel from time to time. I mean, I'm flesh and blood. I, I understand all those emotions. We go through them. I've been through many stuff in the 75 years that God allowed me to live. I don't know how to live without it, to be truthful. And yet, that's how we bought into the lie that, well, some of it is good, some of it is not. And so it's a smorgasbord. You pick and you choose. And who picks to choose? The pastors. Right. And I hear people all the time, Pastor Smelfanga says this. Pastor Superduck says this. Well, I don't care what the pastor, and I tell people all the time, don't quote me, quote the scripture. If it's not in the word of God, it doesn't matter. And I, I was giving an interview not long ago, and an article was written about the interview about the word of God. 
And I said, we have to judge everything by the word of God. We have to measure everything by the word of God. And then the interviewer, she said to me, she said, but how do we know that when we're not reading the Bible? I said, you're absolutely right. That's a tragedy. And that is why we're buying into lies. Lies that are coming to us from politicians, lies that are coming to us from the media, lies that are coming to us from educators and school systems and campuses. We bought the lie. I'm talking about the people of God. We bought the lie because we don't know the truth, and the truth is in the Word of God. And so I am absolutely on a mission, whatever years I've got. I want people to get back to reading the Word of God, understanding and comprehending the Word of God. Amen. And when we read the Word of God, we understand more about Jesus, right? Everything points to Jesus Absolutely. and salvation. Yeah. And to really understand what that blood sacrifice yeah. of Jesus yeah. means, yeah. holy, you have to go back to the Old Testament. Exactly. And that is why some of these progressive theologians said, you know, we don't believe in somebody hanging on a cross with blood uh, dripping all over the place. What? Do you understand that this started in the Garden of Eden? And started in the Garden of Eden when God slew an innocent animal. And, and imagine the horror on the faces of Adam and Eve when they saw this being done. And it's a reminder for them of the enormity of their sin, of disobeying God. When he said, don't do this, they did it. And when that sacrifice was offered, that was the beginning of God trying to impress upon humanity the enormity of our sin, the enormity of our sin of independence, a sin of not submitting to God's authority, obeying his word. And from that moment on, it was understood that it's through the shedding of blood that forgiveness of sin takes place. And these were all pictures, images, similes, whatever they may be, to show God's people when they go and sacrifice. And that's what's called sacrifice, because an average person, not a poor person, an average person would have to pay fork a lot of money to offer the sacrifice in the temple. And that's called sacrifice. You're sacrificing something, you know, Disappear. part of you, your livelihood, in order to impress upon us that sin is expensive. Sin is horrendous as far as God is concerned. And then ultimately, which all these things were pointing to, all of these animal sacrifices were pointing to that there's going to be a perfect one, a sinless one, who had never sinned, who coexisted with the Father before all worlds, who's going to come down, and then He is going to offer Himself to be the greatest sacrifice of all. And so that all of us who could never make it to heaven, because I often say an astronaut could never land on the moon without a space suit. I mean, they'll be incinerated. <laughs> Humanity cannot land in heaven, a perfect place, sinless place, without being incinerated. We cannot do it. It cannot happen. God only requires perfect people to come. But we're not. None of us are. But the one who's perfect, the one who's sinless, the one who never committed a sin, the thought, word, or deed, went and offered himself as the greatest sacrifice so that we, every one of us, every human being on the face of the earth, can come and get to heaven hanging on his coattail and say, I am not worthy to be here, but because of him. And I place my faith in him. I place my whole trust in him. And therefore, he lets me in. It's his righteousness that God the Father looks and sees me, not in my sinfulness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because I covered my life 
by that blood, by that faith in him and him alone as my Savior and Lord. And that is the greatest message. This is the good news. And you always say the gospel is good news. This is the greatest news of all. But sadly, it's going to be bad news for those who reject it. It is every day on a daily basis, Mm. sad news for those who reject it because they're missing out on the joy and the promise. But you're also talking about the kingdom come. There are three kingdoms. There's a one kingdom, but there's the kingdom past, present, and future that is throughout this book. And that's really what Jesus teaches us. I'm glad you brought this up because the theme of the kingdom or the kingdom of God is really what unites the whole Bible. And that's what I focus on in all of my writing. I focus on the kingdom of God. And it's amazing. Mark tells us in chapter 114, he says, Jesus went about proclaiming the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of God is here. The reign of God, the rule of God is here. Come in, enter it. Come under his wings. Come believe in him, trusting him. But in the very beginning, I mean, the kingdom of Israel was never the kingdom of Israel until later. Mm. That was the kingdom of God. God is their king. God is the ruler. He gave them this commandments of how to live in the wilderness and then in the promised land. But sadly, they turned it from the kingdom of God as their king and rejected him and wanted an earthly king. They did this with Saul, followed by David. So the kingdom of God that was the kingdom of God became the kingdom of Israel. So Jesus came to restore all that and to say, now the kingdom of God is here. Now the kingdom of God is in your midst, and I'm here proclaiming it to you. Come enter into the joy of that kingdom. And that really is the theme of the entire Bible. If you think of one theme that unites the Bible, it's the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the rule of God. For now, it's on the hearts of the believers, in the lives of the believers, in the minds of the believers. That rule, that reign. But one day is going to be real, and he's going to reign and rule, and we're going to reign and rule with him, which is absolutely blows my mind. I can't even comprehend it. Nearly 60 years of walking with the Lord, I still can't comprehend that we are going to be reigning and ruling. Paul said we're going to be judging angels. And I always read that. I said, Lord, I have to read this again. <laughs> and so that, that is a great news of the gospel. And that's what sadly people miss. And that is why I'm taking that gospel to the ends of the earth and going in person as well as through media and every possible way to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone who would listen, to everyone who would believe and trust and come into his reign and rule and then assign them to churches. Go back in time. You grew up Christian, evangelical in Egypt. At what point in your life did you read it all the way through and make that conclude? Were you raised knowing that? Or, or was there a no. moment where you said, oh, this, this is? I went to a great church and I listened to wonderful preachers and they would take a text and they'd run with it and use it as a springboard to tell stories and this and that. But I believed the Bible. I did read through it until I, I really was in first year seminary. Mm-hmm that I really began to understand what it means from Genesis to Revelation as one book, one unit, one theme runs through it, and how God, in His wisdom, in His sovereignty, protected 
those 1600 years of time. And these authors were professionals. They were men, they were women, they were shepherds, they were uh, doctors, they were from all walks of life. And yet, because the Holy Spirit is the overall author, they all tell the same stories. The one before them and the one after them and those in between. And so that's when the huge revelation came to me. And so I've been thinking about it for 50 years. I said, that's when I started seminary 51 years ago. And I said, if my life was revolutionized by that, can I make that possible? Can I make it understandable to a layman rather than in a theological seminary? And so that is the burden behind this book is to help everybody, whether you're a 10th grader or a freshman in college, whatever you are, it doesn't matter. I made it, I worked so hard on taking all the big words out in order to make it simple, understandable, and comprehensible. We feel your passion yes. in the books that you write and the messages that you preach in hearing you right now. You have taken that passion and you have put it into a book, right. How to Read the Bible as if your life depended on it. And right. I really love the subtitle. Sure. Because it does. Yes, absolutely. Your eternal life. Not only this life, this life. Just think about what you're missing out on. The joy and the peace and the confidence and the assurance and the internal. I'm talking internal because circumstances cannot be controlled. But the internal peace in the midst of difficulty and the midst of problems or whatever they may be, physical, emotional or financial that you are at peace because you have placed your confidence in Christ. Then in eternal life as well. So it's both here and for all of eternity. And that is why I think it's vitally important that people understand what the Word of God has said and they begin to obey it and live by it. Because it means everything both in this life and for all of eternity. And I feel like if you read it, you want to obey it and live by it. But you've got to start there. So I I love that this book, you really walk your readers through what the Bible is. And so if people have read the Bible in its entirety, this is fabulous because it kind of brings it all back and inspires you to get back in. For somebody who's never read it, you really lay it out so beautifully to show us how interconnected it is. It is. And that's a longing of my heart. I tell people, you know, there are some of my books that have taken me six months to write. Some take longer, some take shorter. Depends. I love writing. God obviously gave me that gift, which I did not know until the age of 30. But uh, this book, How to Read the Bible, it's taken me 50 years to write. Mm. It really has taken me 50 years. From the moment I learned it, and I learned this unity of the Bible and how it is one book. As, as one theologian once said, he said, the Old Testament is like a house. It doesn't have a roof. The New Testament is the roof. And so, in many ways, one without the other cannot, do not make sense. And that is what I intended, or I at least tried to the best of my ability under the power of the Holy Spirit to communicate that one unity of the Bible that is going to bless you and encourage you and motivate you, that is going to make it feel like food that you eat, except it's spiritual food. It's nourishment to your soul, nourishment to your body. I can't go a day without, uh, and if I do, I mean, I can feel it. It's just everything is sluggish and in my heart and my mind. And so I try never to miss. And so to knowing how to read the Bible, how to apply it to life and realize that it's authenticity. 
that all the people who bring doubt about the Bible, they've never read it. <laughs> or they read it like the devil. The devil read the Bible. The devil believes the Bible. James said, the devil believes and trembles. That is something more than 21st century Christians yes. do. We don't tremble at the name of Jesus, but Satan trembles at the Word of God. And so you can read it that way, you can read it or not read it at all and criticize it. But if you read it and you understand it and you comprehend it, you would never want to be without it. If you would like to speak with a ministry representative about how you can get your copy or copies of Dr. Youssef's new book, How to Read the Bible, give us a call. 866-626-4356. That's 866-626-4356. And the website is ltw.org. ltw.org. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Connect with us through our YouTube channel, Facebook, Twitter, and all of our social media networks.